Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome. As we end our month of May, alhamdulillah, and we start a, a new part of uh, half of the year, alhamdulillah. Shukran so much for joining us. I'm Khawa Salman in this question and answer forum. We're taking your SMSs on 47913. That's SMSing on 47913. If you're listening to us over the lands and across the seas, please like our Facebook page and we can uh, communicate via Facebook and get your SMSs as well. Once again, with me is Sheikh Ibrahim Wurz. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And assalamu alaikum to all our listeners out there. So continue with those SMSs and we're trying to, to come as much as we can because yeah, Sheikh will try and hopefully inshallah give you a detailed answer to your question. First one is salam, Sheikh. I'm a divorcee of two years now and I'm still sad about the talaq. Got a married proposal, but just can't move on. I feel Allah is going to punish me for going for divorce. Was married for more than 30 years. Please advise how to move on. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Divorce is uh, obviously something that is uh, very traumatic for any person that goes through it. And it can affect a person on various different levels and in different ways. Uh, however, we find sometimes that uh, due to the problems that uh, arise between husband and wife, uh, there may be no other solution except to dissolve the marriage. And uh, that has been made an option which is halal in Islam, although it is as a last resort and a last option after having exhausted all other possible avenues uh, to come to some kind of uh, solution to the problem. If no solution is found, then of course the Sharia allows uh, the couple to go for divorce or to get a separation, etc. Uh, so the fact that uh, you, you've been married for a long time and uh, perhaps there were issues uh, obviously that were beyond repair and you did go for divorce then of course uh, you know it was something that perhaps at the time was the best uh, solution for you and uh, one must try to accept um, uh, accept that and actually move on uh, although it is very difficult we can understand that but one of the things that we can just as a general advice give to you and to other all other people in a similar situation is that it always helps us a lot to to strengthen our relationship with our Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we do that, then we we find much more contentment and acceptance as to what has happened. So try to recite Quran and make dhikr as much as you can. Make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, as as the saying goes, I mean, time heals. I mean, time will, inshallah, hopefully help you along and and, um, allow you to move on. And uh, if there's a dua that I can give you perhaps just to recite as well, uh, a dua that was uh, taught by our Prophet ﷺ to a person by the name of Umm Salama, where she had lost her husband and she was obviously uh, very sad about it. And her husband actually taught her this dua, which he heard from the Prophet ﷺ. And this dua is, Allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa khlufli khayran minha. Oh Allah, reward me in this time of difficulty and calamity and grant me a substitute that will be better than it. Uh, because Allah knows best why sometimes marriages don't work out. Maybe it is the, the only solution. And Allah knows why that has happened. So put your trust in Him. Uh, try to make dua, make your dhikr. And try to make this dua. I'll repeat the dua. Allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa khluf li khayran minha. 
uh, and hopefully inshallah Allah Ta'ala will send something your way that will be positive and that will uh, allow you and assist you to overcome uh, this particular difficulty and we pray that Allah makes it easy for you inshallah Shukran so much Sheikh and for all those that find themselves in that uh in that situation, may they be guided. I mean, so with that, let's just take a short break, and afterwards, we'll come back with your SMSs on 47913. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Serial. My radio station, your radio station. Radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Uh, and of course, uh, after six o'clock in the voice of the Cape, as we sit back and enjoy the lessons um, where Sheikh Ibrahim was, uh, answers your questions and hopefully reap the benefits of those um, that are listening, inshallah. So our next question is, Salam, if a person is on his or her deathbed, is it wrong to stand at the feet of a dying person? Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim I'm not aware of uh, any specific prohibition that would uh, disallow somebody to stand at any particular place while the person is on the deathbed. Um, of course, if it is a close family member or somebody that we, 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 we have as a relative or a friend, then of course it would be uh, best to be close to the person. And to the adab is, of course, to try and make talqeen of that person if that person is really at the end. And here talqeen means to basically instruct uh, the person to say the kalima. Uh, and so by doing that, you will stand next to the person as close as possible. And without telling the person to say la ilaha illallah, you actually just say in front of the person la ilaha illallah. And hopefully the person will join you in that kalima to shahada. Because uh, obviously, ultimately, what we would like uh, to see is that the person utters those words and leave this world with those words. Um, so those are some of the adab, I mean, to, to actually be close to the person and to make talqeen of the kalima. As to where you're going to stand, whether it is going to be on the, at the head side or wherever, I, don't, uh, I didn't see or I, don't, I didn't come across any uh, prohibition or any specific guidance that would say it must be at one position and not at the next. Um, so the only thing I can say is, if it is something somebody close to you, then try to be as close as possible to this person, and make the talqeen of the shahada, the instruction of the shahada. And remember, when we give the talqeen of the shahada, we should not do anything to upset the person. We should never do something that would uh, uh, provoke uh, some kind of response that is negative from the person. So that's why I said we don't tell the person say la ilaha illallah because mm. you know you don't want to uh, seem as if you are scolding or as if you are uh, commanding this person in, in a strong form, uh, but rather you want to the person to sort of uh, out of his own or her own latch onto what you are saying, mm. and once the person has uttered that kal- kalima of la ilaha illallah, then you stop, then you don't say anything after that. Unless the person changes the subject again or say something else after that, then you again begin to say la ilaha illallah. So those are some of the, the things that we do. Uh, and, and there's no specific indication as to whether you should stand at a specific position as far as I know. 
The next question via SMS 47913 So keep them coming We do apologise for the response of the late um, And uh, response of your question um, We are back like, uh, um, Logging those uh, questions So we first deal with them as they come through But keep sending them through They will be dealt with at the time And we do that show inshallah If one is married and had been given the gift Of a wedding ring As is a custom for the bride and groom To exchange rings And for my mahar I was given a gold coin must I pay zakah on these possessions, Sheikh? This question. Yeah, there are two uh, sections to this question. Of course, the one is the jewelry, and the other one is the 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 gold coin. So the jewelry, the ring, or whatever other jewelry was given, and then the 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 coin that was given as the mahr. Uh, as far as the jewelry is concerned, there's ikhtilaf or difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to whether zakah is payable on these items or not. Uh, the view of Imam Shafi'i is that, of course, there is no zakah on jewelry uh, if it is uh, in the personal usage of a woman, uh, except if it is excessive. Okay, so if a woman has uh, one, two rings, a few rings, some earrings, some bangles, which she normally would wear, and which is customary, uh, not uh, looked at as being excessive, then there's no zakah on that, because that's a personal item. Just as we have all our personal items in our homes, we don't pay zakah on them. Whether it be televisions, whether it be our uh, furniture, our car that we drive, all those personal items, there's no zakah on that. So the jewelry is exactly the same. Okay, there's no zakah on it. And uh, there is proof that uh, Sayyidatina Aisha radiallahu anha uh, is reported to have looked after some of the daughters of her brother who were orphans and they were living with Sayyidatina Aisha radiallahu anha. Um, this is obviously now um, uh, taking care of them, etc. And uh, it is said that they had jewelry in their possession, but she did not instruct them to, to pay zakah on it. Because it was their personal possessions hmm. So there was no zakah that was payable on it So that goes for any jewelry, um, gold or, or silver That a woman has There's no zakah on it except if it is excessive hmm. uh, The second I- issue is with regards to the gold coin And yes, of course, the gold coin We first need to ascertain what the value of the gold coin is And if the value of this gold coin is um, The amount which is the minimal payable amount for zakah Which we call the nisab which is round about three and a half thousand to four thousand rand. If the coin is valued uh, at that particular price, then it would be uh, obligatory to pay zakah on that coin every year, because that is of course now uh, something that can be exchanged for money. It is not really jewelry. It's not really uh, the same as the rings and stuff like that. Um, so there has to be zakah uh, paid on the coin that that the lady has, uh, if it is over that minimal. Payable amount. If it is less than that, because you get coins that is maybe, let's say, a quarter or a fifth of an original coin, a quarter of a Kruger or and, and like that. So if it is less than the Nisab amount, less than the minimal amount, then obviously there will be no zakah on that particular uh, coin. However, we also have to take into consideration that if the person has any other cash uh, that they keep for more than one year, okay, then the amount of the cash must be added to the value of the gold coin. Okay, because the gold coin is essentially also just uh, the same as cash. Mm. So if you take that gold coin and you add it to money in the bank that you have, for example, and that comes to Nisab, mm. then you also have to pay zakah on the full amount together, obviously 2.5%, uh, and that zakah only becomes uh, payable after a year of having it in your, in your possession.
Sheikh, just quickly on that year, is it the Gregorian or Islamic year? Yeah, in, in, all, in all measurements, in times of uh, our estimation of years and months and so on, it's always uh, according to the Hijri calendar, the Islamic okay. calendar. So you kind of work out, uh, let's say you have taken possession or you've gotten married in the month of June, for example. So you will take uh, June. So what is the Islamic month now? It's uh, Shaban. We're starting with Shaban. Mm. So you will then next year Shaban see. So you've got, you got that coin. You maybe had some money at the beginning of that uh, year, alongside the coin, and it came to to Nisab mm-hmm. or the minimal amount. So next year Shaban, you will see uh, whether you still have exactly the same. Then you ha- will have to pay two and a half percent on that if it is a minimal payable amount. Okay, great. Shukran so much, Sheikh. I think a lot of women would um, definitely benefit in those getting married just out of, uh, from the mahar, you know, what do you do with your, with your, with your baskavi that you have received? Um, we're still getting your SMSs on 47913. We'll continue with that just after the short break, inshallah. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Serial. radio station your radio station our radio station the voice of the cape Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to this edition of Question and Answer Forum. With me as well um, and uh, welcoming Sheikh Ibrahim Wurs. Uh, shukran to him once again for affording his time. Uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wurs is the Imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid and he's answering your SMSs. So keep them coming via SMS or Facebook page or if you want to fax him, inshallah we'll get to them at the time that they come through. Our next question is Salam. My parents are alive and married for many years and we are only girls, which means we often confide in my mother particularly on issues that affect females and sometimes we also speak to my mom privately when my father is not around when my father sees this he would often say we are scannering and that we are keeping things from him does our father need to know everything we speak about to our mother even if our talks concerns women aspects uh, womanly aspects please advise we love our parents dearly Shukran. Shukran. <laughs> uh, yeah it is it is obvious that uh, obviously there will be certain topics and discussions which mm. are particular to women and that uh, involves them more than anyone else so uh, of course I mean there will be certain things that the father uh, will, will not it will, will not be comfortable to confide in him with so there's no problem in speaking to your mother on certain issues that concerns women and stuff like that and uh, I think what what should be done here is obviously you should respectfully tell your father, you know, and I'm sure he will understand that. Look, uh, if if we are speaking uh, certain issues, uh, it's not uh, the, we're not talking bad about anyone. We're not uh, uh, making fit now anything, but it's just the certain things that we cannot, we don't feel comfortable in speaking to you about. Okay, mm-hmm. um, uh, and in fact, if you look back at the, even the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi we find that even he, at certain times, when people used to ask him questions, especially women, to do with women issues, sometimes he used to get shy in 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 the type of questions that was asked, mm-hmm. because obviously questions uh, pertaining to women, uh, it's best best for a woman to address them, especially if they are very sort of personal stuff. Uh, so I think what you should do is to tell your father about this and say, look, we, we, our intention is not to exclude you intentionally uh, or to keep things away from you or to talk bad about anyone. But it's there just comes times that we are speaking things that uh, we are uncomfortable 
confiding you know in you on those issues and i think maybe what, what would be best is to 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 have those discussions with your mother maybe if he's not around you know maybe that will be an easier way if he's not around then speak to your mother so that he doesn't have any suspicion or that he doesn't think that you're excluding him etc but if you cannot let's say you are only there when he is around then you kindly tell him, look, I mean, we, you know, if you're there. And in fact, maybe it would be a nice thing actually to ask permission and say, look, is it okay? We just want to speak to mom for a couple of minutes. It's just a few stuff that we need to kind of clarify with her. And she's the best one to give advice on this. And uh, it's womanly issues and stuff. There's nothing wrong in that at all. Uh, and, and I mean, I get the sense of the question that, uh, alhamdulillah, they are uh, a family that have respect for each other. I mean, mm -hmm. they love each other and stuff like that. So the father should understand. I mean, obviously, he should understand that there will be things which he uh, is not the most suitable person uh, to address. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's no problem at all for them to make that kind of arrangements amongst themselves. Shukran, Sheikh. Salam. Sheikh, can Muslims eat in restaurants where they serve wine, especially fish restaurants or seafood restaurants where they serve wine? Yeah, uh, I think yeah, this is an issue that has uh, come about um, for some time now, where we find certain, obviously, eating places is what they would call, uh, you know, halal friendly. It's not necessarily halal, but halal friendly. Uh, so what it means is uh, that they have halal products that they serve, but they may also be serving wine on the side and stuff like that. So the food is halal, but there are other elements that are obviously not allowed in Islam that is also to be found there. Now, in terms of, I mean, strictly speaking, in terms of the food itself, I mean, one cannot say that the food is haram to eat mm. as such, okay? Because if it is fish and you know for sure that there is no other elements in there of uh, prohibition, then of course the food in itself uh, is, is halal. However, um, we find that if we look at the, the type of guidance and directives that was given by our Prophet then we get the impression that the Nabi Ali was also very concerned for us that we do not associate or we are not even close to people that are consuming alcohol, that we shouldn't be in the vicinity of people that in fact consume alcohol. And that we can find this from a number of statements that he made. One of it is if you look at the very strong stance that he took on alcohol, where he said that may Allah curse the one that drinks it, the one that carries it, the one that witnesses it, the one that sells it, the one that buys it, the one that's produced it. You know, he, he basically everybody in the chain that was involved in that uh, khamar or in that uh, alcohol, they are, you know, he's invoking the curse of Allah upon them. Meaning is is giving a very strong deterrent, you know, for people to engage in that. And then there's also another hadith where the Prophet ﷺ in fact uh, stated, you know, مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلَا يَقْعُدَنَّ عَلَى مَائِدَةٍ تُدَارُ عَلَيْهَا الْخَمَرِ says that uh, any person who believes in Allah in the last day, he should not sit at a table where khamar is being served. So here you can get the impression the Prophet ﷺ is saying, although you may not consume it, although you, you may indulge in halal, but the fact that it is done in close vicinity to you, close proximity to you, you should not do that. And uh, as, a, as a standard measurement, I think in Cape Town, for example, we find that even the halal certification bodies, they would not give a certificate to a place that has alcohol or that serves alcohol because of these kinds of mm. sentiments. So obviously uh, uh, it is not then permissible for somebody to eat like that where he is in close proximity of these things. And uh, I would say, look, uh, in, in Cape Town, for example, we don't have a problem of uh, finding places to eat and stuff like that. I mean, we have so many outlets, we have so many halal restaurants of, of very high quality, etc. So there's no need really to 
to to to really use this as a as an excuse to 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 eat at these restaurants but you may find in other parts of the world and here i would say that look if you are traveling and you do come to some place where you know that the halal outlets are very few and far in between and those uh, that uh, perhaps are not halal they have halal food but they serve alcohol huh. okay in such a case look there is a, a law in fiqh that says that ad-darurat tubihu al-mahzurat that if you have a necessity, case of necessity, then that which is normally impermissible will become permissible due to the necessity, but only to the extent which is necessary. Okay, So in this case, I would say that if it is like that, where you are traveling and there's no other food outlets except a fish place where you know they only sell fish and it's halal 100% in terms of the food, but they also sell alcohol, then if the necessity dictates for you to eat, otherwise uh, you won't be able to eat, then, then bismillah, then there shouldn't be a problem, right? Because that would be a necessity. It would be the exception to the rule, in other, case, in other words. But in our case here, I don't think we can use that because there is over enough, there are over enough outlets and halal places in fact, our community have been blessed with the very sort of uh, rare kind of uh, opportunities that we can pick and choose. You know, if you go to Europe and the other places, you may not find the type of uh, diversity in terms of halal outlets and things. And you'll find that many of the, the bigger food chains, hmm. they in fact make sure that they are halal com- compliant, taking into consideration the uh, beliefs and the practices of Muslims. So I don't think we've got any excuse. So we should not uh, we should not allow this kind of thing. Allah knows best. Shukran, Sheikh. I've been married for 38 years. My husband don't support me in any way. We don't talk or even greet. No relations in any way. He swears from the time he opens his eyes till he closes it. Um, and for more than two years now, he sleeps in the lounge, always busy with his phone, no sense in talking. Um, as it ends in swearing match, but he don't want he doesn't want to sell the house or divorce. No, of course. I mean, uh, we we uh, anybody who's in a marriage would not like to live in these conditions. Sure. <laughs> I mean, these conditions are terrible. I mean, you thirty-eight I, years. Yeah. yeah, for thirty-eight years. I mean, I can't imagine how somebody can mm. actually carry on for so long where things are just not working out and uh, they're fighting all the time and swearing. I mean, this is not what marriage is about. Mm. This is not what family is about. And I, 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 I cannot begin to think the type of trauma that the children are going through mm. if there are any children and the family and so on. Um, and in a, a general sense. There is a, a, a fiqh uh, maxim or, 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 or principle that we would apply here, and that is the maxim that says, yuzal. And what it means is, wherever there is harm, then that harm must be removed, right? In this case, there's, uh, there's, there's conflict, there's harm within this marriage. So the sharia dictates to us to actually remove the harm in whatever way we can. Now, uh, Imam Suyuti, alayhi, for example, in his book, Al-Ajbaw uh, al-Nadair, when he speaks about all the laws of fiqh, he actually mentions that this particular principle that says uh, that harm must be removed at all time. And of course, this is based on a hadith of the Prophet, وسلم, where the Prophet actually said, la darara wa la dirar. There should never be harm. Harm should never be tolerated. And you should not also reciprocate harm. In other words, if somebody harms you, you should not harm that person uh, in a in a sort of uh, revengeful way, or a vengeful way. So there should be no harm in in anybody's life. We should try to take away that harm. Now Imam Suyuti says, Rahmatullah alayh, that this law uh, is exactly the reason why divorce is allowed in Islam. Okay, because there may come a time where there's too much harm within that marriage, and the marriage cannot continue like that. So obviously it must be removed. 
and that is why Allah Ta'ala has allowed the couple to separate in what, whatever way. So the, this is obviously something that uh, the husband must take into consideration here. Yeah? I mean, he cannot continue living in this way where he's being harmed or he's harming his spouse. Okay, this is an, not a situation that is acceptable. So he has to make, and he cannot only look at the material things that is keeping him behind. Because it seems here that the house is an issue. So if they get divorced, what's going to happen to the house and who's going to get what and whatever the case may be. That now becomes a secondary issue. Okay, the main issue here is to remove the harm which is in the house in whatever way you're going to do that. So we'd obviously um, encourage the husband here to sort of uh, expedite whatever methods and, and whatever procedures there is in order to bring closure to this kind of situation. Because you cannot continue living like this. And they should see a counselor and see whether they can come to some kind of amicable agreement on whatever other things there are. But uh, the first and main thing is to, to end this terrible situation where they are not happy at all and fighting all the time. So that they can continue their lives in a more harmonious and a more beautiful way. And that is what we would encourage them to do, inshallah. Um, Sheikh, one also picks up within this question is that, you know, the husband doesn't want to divorce. So what sort of steps can the wife maybe take? Um, because Sheikh said, let's dissolve this. Yes. Because it does sound rather traumatic for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. Of so course, in this case, yes, it's a good point that you, you're just raising there. That uh, Of course, if the husband really doesn't want to divorce, then the woman has got recourse to go to a judiciary to ask for a fasakh, you know, an almond of the marriage. And this, it would appear, just listening to the, the question, we obviously don't know the details, but what we can see, it would appear that there is lots of grounds for Ifasakhia. Mm. I mean, this kind of abuse and no nafaqa and no, lots of issues. So definitely Ifasakh would be uh, possible after investigation, of course, and following the procedures, there would be grounds for one. So the woman can, the wife can go to any of the judiciaries and actually apply for Ifasakh stating her case. And I think that is what she should do if the husband is not prepared to, 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 give her a, to give her a divorce. Shukran. Is it haram to make dhikr in the karamat, yes or no? <laughs> well, quick answer, no. It is not haram according to what I know. <laughs> okay. Because uh, if you make dhikr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first of all, there's no restriction as to where and where you, you shouldn't make dhikr. There's no restriction in time as to where and where you cannot make dhikr. So it's, uh, it's something which Allah encourages and in the Quran is full of verses that speaks about making lots of dhikr wherever you are and wherever you find yourself. And uh, I think the issue is particularly there is some kind of idea that, you know, if you go to the karamat, you're committing maybe wrong things and whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just want a, sort of a basic answer as to whether you can make dhikr at the place where the karamat is, I don't see any objection. As to what people are doing there, there may be things that they are doing that is right or there may be things that they are, that they are doing that is out of line. And that is something separate that we need to address and we need to obviously clarify if there is wrong things that people are doing there. But in terms of making dhikr at the karamat, um, in fact, uh, one can say that, look, the karamat is just another grave Mm. and we have been encouraged to visit the graves and we've been encouraged to make dua for the people that that are in the graves and that are deceased. Uh, In fact, Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, in his book, uh, Al-Athkar, where he mentions the dhikrs for various occasions, when he discusses the issue of the grave, uh, and visiting graveyards, um, this is what he has to say. I mean, just to, to, to give some kind of uh, content uh, to this question. Um, Imam Nawawi says, وَيُسْتَحَبُّ لِلزَّائِرِ الْإِكْثَارُ مِنْ كِرَاءَةِ الْقُرْآنِ وَالذِّكْرِ وَالدُّعَاءِ لِأَهْلِ تِلْكَ الْمَقْبَرَةِ وَسَائِرِ الْمَوْتَى وَالْمُسْلِمِينَ أَجْمَعِينَ mm-hmm. It is recommended that the person who visits the graves recites a lot of Qur'an, that he recites a lot of dhikr, that he makes a lot of du'a, 
for the disease that he is visiting as well as for all other diseases that are there. Okay, and in fact says, وَيُسْتَحَبُّ الْإِكْثَارُ مِنَ الزِّيَارَةِ It is actually recommended to visit the graves a lot because remember it reminds you of death and it puts you into perspective. وَأَنْ يُكْثِرَ الْهُقُوفَ عِنْدَ قُبُورِ أَهْلِ الْخَيْرِ وَالْفَضَلِ And he actually mentions there, he says, and it is a very good practice to actually stand over the graves of people that are known to be people of piety hmm. and people of virtue. To actually stand over their graves and obviously make dua for them, you know. And uh, like I said, there may be people that have the wrong understanding when they go to the karamat. What do they go and do there, you know? So let's say, for example, somebody goes to the karamat to ask the karamat to give him something. I mean, that is wrong. I mean, we don't do that, okay? We don't ask the karamat to give us things. But we go there, and many people, I do believe, they go there because they feel that this person was a very pious person. So hence the place is, you know. Uh, there's barakah there And there's a kind of environment there That is conducive So they go for that purpose They, I, I had many people tell me They go to the Kalamud Because they have peace there Tranquility They feel mm. very at, at ease When they are there Okay So if you're going there And you find that envi- environment And then you make dhikr to Allah Remember the dhikr is for Allah The dua is for Allah Whatever you do is for Allah so if you have that right understanding And the right perception Going to the Kalamud Is no issue at all uh, as long as it is within those parameters Imam Nawawi, like I just said He actually recommends that you go And stand at the graves of the people that are pious And people of virtue Make dua for them, they also need dua Just as you need dua, they also need dua Make dua for them, make dua for the entire ummah And ask Allah Ta'ala to make you also a pious man Or a pious woman That can be of benefit to the ummah of Islam Shukran. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If a child is making salah, very interesting question. I thought about it. If a child is making salah and his or uh, or his or her mother calls, do they leave salah and go and see what the mother wants, and do they f- or do they finish first? Now, for me, what comes up, you know, generally, your parents always calling you. But what if, in a case, you know, you you have actually have a sick parent that's that's now calling you so maybe both sides of the coin inshallah yes yes uh, no absolutely this is uh, one of the uh, questions that uh, a lot of people are faced with and uh, first of all what we see the scholars uh, have done here is that they firstly make a difference between uh, what type of salah it is mm. okay if it is a sunnah salah and if it is a fart salah so there they would say look if it is a sunnah salah and your parents call you then it would not be any problem for you to break off the sunnah salah and to mm. listen to what the needs of your parents are. Because the sunnah salah is voluntary. It's something which you don't have to do. Mm. Okay? Whereas to pay attention to your mother and father and to serve them and to help them is, is a compulsory. Okay? So that which is compulsory will take precedence over that which is voluntary. Mm. If it is a voluntary salah. On the other hand, they say that if it is a fard salah, then of course um, you should not immediately break off your salah Except if you know that your parent is really in difficulty or they really need you, need you at that moment. Mm. Okay, So there you need to judge. You, you won't uh, just break off your salah as quickly as you would if it was a sunnah salah. Mm. Okay? But what you would do is you would estimate and uh, consider uh, your mother is perhaps like you say ill or so. So you know that if she calls it must be for something. It mm. must be something urgent. Then in that case you are allowed to leave off your salah even if it is a fard salah to attend to your mother. Or your father In fact We can extend it And say That if you are In the salah For example And you see Any ordinary person Not even your mother Or your father Any ordinary person Is in danger mm. Let's say a baby Mathalan yes. You make a salah And you see That the baby Is about to go Towards the staircase mm. And obviously The baby can tumble down What do you do? You break off your salah Simply You break off your salah Because now The necessity is To save the life of the baby 
and you can just do the fard salah afterwards again. So the same would apply here. Uh, if it is a fard salah and you know there's an urgency, then you can also break off your salah. But on the other hand, if you know it's not an urgency, you know she, maybe your mother's just calling for you to come and eat or to just do something that is very easy, then you should continue making that fard salah without actually uh, breaking breaking the salah off. And this has been mentioned by scholars like Imam al-Nawawi and many of our scholars of the Shafi'i Madhab. They have clearly stated that uh, there is a difference between sunnah and fard. So a sunnah you can break off, no problem, because it's only voluntary, mm. and uh, responding to the parents is compulsory. As for the compulsory salah, you first has to, you have to estimate what the seriousness of the matter is. If it's very serious, then you break off the fart as well. If it's not that serious, you continue with your fart and afterwards attend to what your mother or father wants. Shukran, Sheikh. That is the voice of Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. More of your questions answered just after the short break. of the Cape, 91.3 FM stereo. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh on this 31st day of May. Welcome to Question and Answer. I'm Khawa Solomon. As we look at your questions coming in on 47913, once again we do apologize for the late um, answering of your questions, but we do answer them as they come in, inshallah. With me, answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Next up is Salam Sheikh. If the parents are divorced and the father is ill, what is the re- responsibilities of the grandparents from the father's side? Yeah, there's a, uh, a question of maintenance or nafaka or taking care of uh, someone uh, is something established in, in the Sharia of Islam. Uh, and of course, that uh, nafaka or financial responsibility, it will take place on account of three causes or three probable reasons. The first one is a marital bond. That's why a husband has to give nafaka to his wife, for example. The second one is a family bond, Mm -hmm. which is family members that have to uh, take care of each other. And the third one is, of course, ownership, which is also something which the Sharia establishes. And here, just quickly on ownership, the issue of you having a a pet, you know, a cat or a dog or stuff, stuff like that, which you owns. So there is a level of maintenance and nafaka and care that is required from your side looking after that animal. Okay, that is compulsory in the Sharia. Now, when it comes to uh, um, family members, uh, the scholars uh, had clarified to us that uh, the nafaka of what they call the usul and the furu', meaning the nafaka of the parents and grandparents and up, and the children and the grandchildren and all the way down, those two uh, groups of people are always people that we need to look after and care for and give nafaka and supply with uh, whatever they need if the need arises okay now in this case it would seem that the father is ill and he still has a father that is left and he's divorced so obviously his wife is not around and what so if his kids are there obviously if he has children then his children should also play a very very active role in looking after their father Okay, that actually becomes wajib upon the children. It becomes compulsory that the children look after their father and uh, give him uh, whatever he needs and uh, take care of him because just as it would have been his responsibility to look after them, the reverse is also true. 
if he's got a need now. And here, obviously, the scholars would say that uh, the condition for him to be eligible for, for that is that obviously he must really be in need. He must be uh, somebody that doesn't have money of his own or he doesn't have ability to look um, after himself. Um, Etc. And if those conditions are met, then of of course uh, the children they've got that duty towards their parents uh, to look after them. Uh, if, for example, this person does not have any children, then the next uh, uh, level would be that his father, if his father is alive, and in this case it appears the father is alive, the father would then have to look after him and care for him and give him whatever he needs. And this is the various levels of nafaka that is obviously uh, um, uh, that is obviously required in the Sharia. Okay, so it's nafaka towards the father, the grandfather, and all the, all the way up, and the nafaka and the maintenance of children, the grandchildren, all the way down. So this becomes compulsory upon us if the uh, the need arises and if there is a dire situation. Then, uh, as family members, obviously the Sharia dictates to us that we need to play that role, uh, because just as the other person. Well, would also have to shoulder the same responsibility had we been in that situation. We should obviously also reciprocate uh, and do the same. Shukran, Sheikh. Um, next up is, hi, Salam. My husband commits a sin but punish me for four years. It's a very, a very a vague question. I'm hoping uh, Sheikh will be able to yeah, get it I'm around. I'm not too that, sure whether the husband committed the sin or whether she committed the sin. But the fact that the husband is punishing her... Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. That, but yeah, it would appear that she committed something wrong. Hmm. So he's punishing her for it. He doesn't want to forgive and so on. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, what I can say here is that uh, sometimes we have uh, disagreements with people and uh, we may say words and we may exchange certain feelings and emotions, which at the time uh, it's, uh, it's out of control, etc., etc. Um, and if somebody has really committed something wrong also against us, then obviously, yes, at the time they would be hurt and there would be um, disappointment and there would be sadness and so on. However, what we should try is we should try to develop a forgiving nature within ourselves. Okay, that is very, very important. Mm. Because we have, as human being, beings, we all err uh, and we all make mistakes. Mm. We all have our shortcomings. Okay, And I, I'll quote here a, a very, very nice verse, beautiful verse on this topic in Surah An-Nur, chapter um, 24, verse 22. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلْيَعْفُوا وَلْيَصْفَحُوا أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ Allah says, and pardon each other and forgive each other. Right? And then Allah says, Would you not like that Allah must forgive you? I mean, don't you have sins? Don't you have wrongdoings or shortcomings? And wouldn't you like Allah Ta'ala to forgive you? So just as you would like that, you should forgive others as well. Mm-hmm. Because Allah says, rahim." Of the qualities of Allah is that He is oft forgiving and He is most merciful. Now, interestingly, this particular ayah has a what we call a sabab nuzul. It has a reason why it was revealed. And if we go back in the history, why it was revealed, Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and just to cut a long story very short, Sayyidina Abu Bakr's daughter, as you know, Sayyidina Aisha, who was obviously the wife of beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, she was accused of, you know, committing zina with another person, as you know, uh, because they were on a journey and she mm-hmm. lost the necklace and she had to go back. And eventually this person uh, by the name of Safwan, he, he got uh, her alone and the two of them, they then came back to the camp and it would appear that the hypocrites and the munafiqoon, they obviously blew this thing out of proportion and mm-hmm. they spread some rumors, etc. Now, Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, 
obviously was very saddened with this and very upset that his daughter is going through this and being accused and all of that. And it just so happens that there was one of his own family members by the name of Mistah ibn Uthatha. Now, Mistah ibn Uthatha was someone that was a relative of Sayyidina Abu Bakr. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr used to be always very kind to him and give him because he was also a poor person. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr used to give him whatever he needs and whatever. But because he also was trapped in this rumor and he was also spreading this rumor and also jumped on the on the wagon so to say Sayyidina Abu Bakr was very upset with him so much so that Sayyidina Abu Bakr actually vowed that he will never do anything good towards this person again right eventually Allah Ta'ala cleared the whole matter up to say that there were certain verses in Surah Nur that was actually revealed to clear the name of Sayyidina Aisha to say that she was a pious woman and all these were rumors it's not true it was lies and fabrications so the wahi came down actually to protect the honor of Sayyidina Aisha Okay, but at the same time, it was a lesson that even those people that had uh, obviously caused the rumors and all of that, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala was prepared to forgive them hmm. if they would repent from that sin, you know. And so here, this ayah was actually addressed to Sayyidina Abu Bakr. If Allah Taala is prepared to forgive those people, what about you? I mean, even if it affected your own family, the fact that the person has made tawbah, he came, and it is reported that this family member of his was very sorry for what he has done. And he, you know, he wanted to make up for the wrong that he, he did and so on. Uh, so this ayah came down to tell Sayyidina Abu Bakr, look, the fact is that he did something to you, which was very bad, and he's feeling bad about it now. So forgive him. Give him that second chance. And this is what we can say to the husband here. If your wife has done something that was terribly wrong, and she's really sorry for it, and she's trying to make up for it, then you should also try to develop this forgiving nature. Just remember, you also have shortcomings. Just forgive on the. Just remember, on the day of judgment, you will also want Allah Taala to overlook and to forgive yeah. you whatever you have done. And here Allah is saying, "Well, you have to forgive others if you want Allah Taala to forgive you." Okay. And this is the nature in which we should handle these things. That we should never uh, breed hatred and malice to such an extent where we never want to forgive or we never want to give in mm. to that that kind of situation. It is actually a prophetic quality. I mean, if you look at the Nabi Sallallahu he forgave all the people that harmed him. Hmm. He never had any malice in his heart towards them. When he entered Makkah, the day when he reconquered Makkah, people thought he was going to take revenge. Hmm. He didn't take revenge on anybody. He said, whoever, man Abi Sufyan amin. Anybody who goes into the house of Abu Sufyan, he will be safe. We will not take revenge on anyone. Because just as you know, Allah is forgiving to, to us, He will be forgiving to you as well if you repent and if you make amends. You know, so this is the type of uh, character that we ought to display in this particular uh, scenario. Inshallah, Sheikh. Uh, with that in mind, let's just hold those thoughts and take a break, and we'll come back with more of your questions. Inshallah. The Voice of the Cape, ninety-one point three FM stereo. radio station your radio station our radio station the voice of the cape Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back as we uh, start of a new month of this uh, Islamic calendar, this beautiful month of Shaaban, and say goodbye to Ramadan, which now means that we're on the brink, literally. That month just flew by. It felt like a day, literally. So, um, so much has happened, but yes, it felt like a day. So imagine what Shaaban will, will be feeling like, Sheikh. Yes. Um, let's continue with your SMSs, and uh, uh, this is the last segment. So, if we haven't dealt with your SMS in this week, remember we will deal with it in the, in, in the, in the 
and the shows to come, inshallah. So uh, please keep sending them on 47913. Salam, can parents allow children to bring dolls or picture books into the masjid to keep them occupied? Shukran. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, of course, the masjid uh, should always be viewed as a sacred space, a place of sanctity, where we at all times adhere to the sanctity of this area. Uh, however, um, if a, a child is going to cause a disturbance in the masjid and you are able to keep him quiet with, with something like this uh, coloring book, or whatever the case may be, then that is okay. I mean, that's fine because then, of course, then you will uh, then uh, allow the musallis not to be disturbed with a child that is going to be rowdy and run mm. about and stuff like that. However, it must also not become uh, a distraction to 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 the musallis in the masjid. Uh, what I mean by that is, so, so it doesn't mean that you must now bring a whole bucket of toys of the child, you know, into the masjid mm-hmm. and you need to play with the toys and that may become a distraction to the musallis. So I think the main thing here is that we must be sensitive towards uh, others and we must be uh, considerate towards others, especially in this public space as the masjid. It's a place where people come to obviously do their ibadah. And I find sometimes people bring very small children to the masjid in the event of obviously inculcating with it, within them the love for the masjid, which is initially a very good plan and a good, very good niya. However, one must also be realistic that if a child is not yet uh, at a level where they know the sanctity of the mosque or uh, where they uh, would respect others or where they would not cause disturbance to others, mm-hmm. then at that very, very young age, it's possibly better not to bring them yet mm-hmm. until they are more uh, little, uh, a little bit more matured. Because a child of two and three, for example, they don't understand. They, they, they need to run around. They need to do things. Mm-hmm. That is what, what, who they are. I mean, they mm-hmm. can't change that from them. But when they, when they grow up a little bit older, five or six like that, then they begin to understand. And you can tell them uh, when it comes to salah time, you must sit still and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this is the type of thing that we should do. We should always be considerate to others. So this in- initially would not be a problem. Uh, if it is going to occupy the child and keep the child sort of uh, out of the disturbances of others, as long as what the child is doing is also not going to become a hindrance hmm. to other musallis, that is how we, uh, we we view this particular issue. So just great thought should be um, done before you do take a, a doll. Or yes, at all yeah. times, we always, always give consideration. So we don't take a doll, for example, that is going to make music and sound and yes, uh, you okay. know, get those things that when you press it, it makes certain noises. I mean, that won't be suitable because mm. obviously there will be now uh, some kind of issue with people, yeah. distraction, making mm. salah, etc. So that brings us to the end of this edition of Question and Answer Forum. Please note that we have all of your questions that you've been sending through. So don't despair. We will get to them in good time. And shukran for your patience. Once again, jazakallah to you, Sheikh Ibrahim Was, for being with us uh, today and continue answering the questions in the way that you do, inshallah. Shukran so much, uh, Sister Hawa, and may Allah Ta'ala grant all of us uh, khair and barakah uh, in this month of Sha'ban, as you've mentioned. And may Allah make us all reach the month of Ramadan, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And from myself, Hawa Salman, till I speak to the listeners again next time, um, enjoy the rest of your weekend and be safe wherever you are. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.